When was your last job interview? Who remembers their last job interview? And I can, uh, I can see, it was like, it's, there was a, a, in Bradley Stoke, there was a, an audible intake of breath when I said that, <laughs> as people's blood pressure rocketed. And some of you maybe even this week are going to have a job interview. What about, uh, what about those job application forms, which we seem to have to fill in so many these days? Do you remember doing that? I remember, I think, well, I remember a, a job interview down in Eastbourne when I was uh, interviewing for a job as a teacher and just walking into a panel of head teachers. It's like, what is that? Oh, come on. How harsh can this be? And actually it went okay, but I do remember the uh, blood pressure through the roof kind of moment. And one of the questions that are asked uh, on both those occasions uh, is this. What are your strengths and weaknesses? And again, if your blood pressure wasn't up before, now it is, because you're thinking at that moment, you're thinking about your weaknesses. How much do I give away? I want to be kind of seen to be honest, but I don't want them asking too difficult questions of me. And, you know, what do I say? How can I couch some of my weaknesses as strengths? You're kind of scouring the internet for some smart answers, aren't you? And, and then when it comes to strengths, you're like, well, you know, I can't really say that. And anyway, here are a couple of answers. You know, if you're facing that right now, that might help you. So for weaknesses... Um, I read this this week. Uh, someone's answer was this. I'm currently having a difficult relationship with my weaknesses, and right now I'm between weaknesses. Which I thought was quite a good answer. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then he thought that was good. What about for strengths, which I think is a harder one, actually, is next time you're, you're in an interview and someone asks you, what are your strengths, you, you look the interviewer in the eye and you, you give him a second with a steely gaze and you just say this, I'm Batman. <laughs> I think, I think you get the job, honestly. I think, I think that's the way to go. Uh, anyway, here we go. Um, I'm going to read uh, just a, a couple of verses from Nehemiah. In fact, one verse from Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, maybe not absolutely the best advice, but what about trying that one next time you're asked what are your strengths? Well, actually, it's the joy of the Lord. Depending on your job, you know, if you're going for a job here in the church, that might win. Uh, but maybe, you know, if you're going for a teaching job or something, maybe hold back on that one. So what's the story here with Nehemiah? Well, we know Nehemiah is a book about restoration. So what's happened is the people of God have been in exile away from Jerusalem uh, for a generation and Nehemiah's got special dispensation from the king to come back and rebuild the city. We need to know something about Jerusalem as a city. It's not like, uh, it's not as if, you know, some of us uh, down in Devon a few years ago, there were some floods. People had to move out of their houses and they, they did a bit of repairs and took a while, a bit of a headache, and then they moved back again. Now, this was different. Jerusalem had much more significance than just a home. Jerusalem was the city of God. It was the city of David. It was where the temple was. It was where the presence of God was. So to be away from Jerusalem was not just to be inconvenienced, to be away from your home, it was to be away from the very driving force of your life and your people. It was very, very significant. And what happened was, was uh, Nehemiah had come back and they'd rebuild the city in record time, just, just incredible rebuilding. But the rebuild, and the walls had been rebuilt, and that was the, the essence of rebuilding a city, was the security that the walls of a city would bring. <coughs> Excuse me. And so they'd done that. Um, but when you look at the, the maps and the pictures and the diagrams of the rebuilt city, it was uh, just a shadow of its former self. 
So whilst this was a significant moving back, actually it was not anything like the former glory of Jerusalem. And so the people are back in Jerusalem. They've come back and they've rebuilt the city. And now what's happening just before this passage in Nehemiah 8 is Ezra, the prophet, the man of God, is reading the law. He's reading the Bible to the people. And this is also very significant because it hasn't happened for a generation. And so after this long and treacherous mission to rebuild this ancient city uh, as the dwelling place of God, what you have now is the city of God, the people of God, and the word of God all coming together in this moment. And it's a significant moment in the life of the Jewish people. But their response was to weep and to, and to cry, to wail. Their response was um, just an inward kind of, oh my goodness, what on earth has happened to us? And what was happening even in that moment as the law was read out is they were recognizing how far they had fallen from God's standards. They recognized something we would say of their own sin. They saw something of it, at the stark reality of it, as they stood in the rebuilt ruins of Jerusalem. They couldn't help but look around them and think, well, this is, this is good and we're grateful, but my goodness, when you see something and you hear something of who God is from the Lord of God, you recognize the big gap between what could be, what was, and what now uh, was the reality for them. And so they were weeping, and they were wailing, and Nehemiah had to speak to them. and said, He said this, he said, don't weep. This is a holy day for our Lord. Don't grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It was a command. It was an instruction. We need to understand what was going on in the lives of those guys. Don't weave. Don't grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's a day of celebration. You might not connect holiness and parties together, but Nehemiah does. He says, it's a holy day, so you better go and eat and drink. Go celebrate, have a party. Why? Because it's a holy day. Holiness and celebration are closely linked. And you might, that might be a complete surprise to you. Maybe if you don't know anything of God or, 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 or Christianity, that would be like, no, surely holiness is distant and you know, it's kind of mysterious and you can't get close to it. No, here we find this is a holy day. Go celebrate. And it says here, um, it says, eat uh, choice foods and sweet drinks. The uh, interpreters of the Bible are being a bit teetotal here. That's sweet wine. They say, go and drink and eat. Why? Because it's a holy day. It's a day where God is bringing us back together. Don't grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I guess, um, you know, we'd all like to be a little bit happier. We used to do uh, surveys on the streets when I was uh, doing a year, evangelistic year for the church many years ago. And you take your, uh, as a kind of opener to talk to someone, you'd you'd say, what would you like most out of life? And that was the opening question. And pretty much everyone would have some way of saying, I just want to be happy. Almost every response, year after year, was that. We'd just like to be happy. But that isn't actually what is being spoken about here by Nehemiah. He's not just talking about being a little bit happy. He's not just saying, oh, buck your ideas up. Come on. Come on, it's not that bad. At least the sun's shining. He's not doing any of that. He is instructing something much deeper, something more lasting, something more profound. He is talking about joy. And he's talking about a joy that belongs to someone. Now, maybe we need to just define joy 
uh, in a, just, just before we move on, otherwise we'll be confused it between that kind of happy and joy, and how do we define it? Well, I've defined it for you. The Bible doesn't like, have a verse that says this is what joy is, uh, but this is uh, my attempt at that. So joy is this. It is a settled position of confident faith in God's goodness and grace, unaffected by circumstance, that bubbles over into praise and worship. A confident, settled position of God's goodness and grace, unaffected by circumstance, which bubbles over into praise and worship. It's something very deep. It's based on realities, not on just a set of feelings. You see, I can feel happy if I wake up and the sun's out, which doesn't happen at the moment because when I get up, it's dark, as it probably is for most of you. So what's happening? Why is it so dark? Well, but we can feel a bit happy. Maybe you've had a nice meal. You know, maybe you've been out with some friends. I feel happy. But that's very fleeting, isn't it? Because the next day you wake up and it's pouring with rain and oh, I don't feel, I feel a bit deflated. And that's kind of, that's a very surface thing. It's very affected by our immediate surroundings and circumstance. That's not what is being talked about here. And when the Bible talks about joy, it's really not that at all. I think we can get very caught up in that moment, but it's not that. So I think it's a bit more like this. And this, it, this is a, a, an attempt at an example at how this might, uh, this might play out for some. We, Many of you have had babies recently, and I know that because I see the pictures everywhere, and I love babies. I think they're just so joyful, actually. I think it's wonderful. But you know the moment of, you know, that you're kind of, you're coming up to the birth, particularly if it's your first child, and you're not sure what's going on. You're hoping it's going to go well, and sometimes the birth's a bit challenging, and then they give you this little baby. And you're like, I remember with our firstborn, particularly with Abby, they hand me this baby, and I'm sitting there. I'm actually sitting on, on a kind of beanbag thing, and they hand me this, and I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm a dad forever. And that's that feeling, that, and dads, you'll know that. Mums, you know, you've had, you've had nine months and you've kind of connected. Dad's a bit clueless and they hand her, oh my goodness, this, it looks, she looks a bit like me. You know, we had that, that moment. And I think, and, and you, what you realise is, my life's never going to be the same again. And actually, that's a very positive thing. And that's a little, a little tiny window on what, on what joy does to us, God's the joy that God gives. It changes us profoundly, and it's based on a very profound truth about who God is and what God is like. And we also see from the text that this is not a detached emotion. It's not this kind of elusive feeling we've been talking about. It's something much deeper, and actually it belongs to someone. It's the joy of the Lord. It's not just, oh, well, I hope, I could, I hope maybe I could have it. Actually, it belongs to someone. It belongs to the Lord himself. Look, we know a bit about this in our own experience. Have you ever been to a party that's kind of basically bombing and you're like, <laughs> and someone says, it's okay because so-and-so's coming. And you know that when that person turns up, actually, usually it lifts the room. You might know people like that and you probably do. You probably remember, oh yeah, it's okay because so-and-so will be here soon. Some people carry, it's a bit of a gift actually, if you have it, you're very fortunate, is when you, when you enter a room, it lifts people. They have something of, uh, they own something of a gift like that. So we do know something of this. Well, this is the joy of the Lord. You know, John le Carre, who is an espionage writer, said this of a friend in, in his memoirs. He said, no one who ever met him could forget that first instantaneous surge of sheer good fellowship that swept you off your feet. You've met people like that, haven't you? When you meet them, it's like, oh, oh my goodness, I feel better about myself and the world and the weather. How does that, how does that, how can he do that? How, how could she do that? So we know something of that experience. Jesus said this of himself in John 15. As a father has loved me, so I 
loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. What a promise. What a promise. My joy, the joy of the one who invented the thing. The joy of the one who owns it, the joy of the one who comes into a room and changes the very atmosphere. In fact, does so much more than that. Transforms a planet and a cosmos, says, I want my joy in you and your joy to be complete. That is an offer like nothing else. What an offer. What a promise. Absolutely incredible. You see, Jesus is the essence, the source, the overflowing fountain of pure, undiluted joy. There's nothing hindering his joy, nothing. There's nothing stopping, nothing hindering, nothing harming it. It's the joy that sang creation into being. And you know, you know we read the story, don't we? However, it quite happened literally. He said, as he meant, it's good, it's good. This is good. All of creation, all of the cosmos called into being. It was the joy of God that did it. It's the joy that caused Lazarus from the tomb. Imagine that moment. There you are at a funeral. Jesus pitches up, calls the dead guy out of the grave. Just utter joy. Can you just, can you just be there? Can you imagine it? Absolutely phenomenal. And it's the same joy that's changing lives around the planet today, right now. Thousands and thousands being swept into the kingdom of God, even as we speak today. That's why we want to do the Alpha Course by the way, to share something of this incredible joy with those around us. It's this fountain, it's undiluted, it's phenomenal. You see, it's not five steps to a happier you in 2020. It's the joy of the Lord. You see the difference between those two things. You see, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit encompass joy just in their relationship one with another, in their plans and purposes, in their ability to bring in their kingdom. Actually, it's true for people when they get filled with the Holy Spirit often. There is just a welling up of joy. People find it hard to describe quite often as they're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like, oh, it feels like I'm being filled up with something. And often that is the joy of the Lord. There was a, an old guy, an old evangelical preacher that helped me as a, a younger man. He said this, he said, the tragedy for some is is they, they know something of the joy of the Lord in their head, but they've never been embraced by the Holy Spirit in their experience. And sometimes the Holy Spirit does that. He takes the things of Jesus and makes them real to us. And that means in our experience, you can know something of God in a way that's hard to describe. And that's why it's hard to describe, because you kind of know, you know it's, a, it's an outflowing of the joy of the Lord. And some of you today, maybe you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe that would be a great response as we finish and we come to the table uh, to take bread and wine at the end, that you need to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Psalm 16 says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And at this point, some of you think, okay, <laughs> what about mitigating circumstances? Some of you are thinking, oh, the, come on, there are other verses, surely. There are other verses that say other things in the Bible, aren't there? Uh, how could they, it just sounds all too good to be true, doesn't it? And I suppose we need to ask ourselves the question then at this point, what about mitigating circumstances? Is it possible to enjoy or to experience the joy of the Lord when life's difficult? What about when it's confusing? 
Can you know the joy of the Lord then? What about when tragedy strikes? Can you know the joy of the Lord in the midst of serious difficulties? Is it possible? Is it elusive or is it permanent? What is it? Well, we can read something of a story where this is played out in Acts chapter 15. I love this story. I think it's amazing. You see, it's the story of Paul and Silas on an apostolic journey. That means they were going to a new city to tell people about Jesus and plant a church. That's really what they were doing. And they were going to Philippi. And they had been going from city to city. They arrive in Philippi and they preach Jesus on the streets. And the crowds gather um, and they cast a demon out of a girl. And for doing so, they are put in prison, they're beaten, and they are locked away. And then we pick up the story here in verse 25 of Acts 15. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Okay, (laughs) I don't think, you know, I just, I, I am amazed. I'm genuinely amazed every time I read that. Beaten, locked away, feet in stocks in the center of the prison. Here they are worshiping God. The other prisoners were listening to them. I bet they were. I bet they're thinking, what are you on? What on earth are you on? Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the, the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. Everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Paul shouts out, don't, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The instructions from Nehemiah to that old group of people back in, in his day as they faced national pressure, disappointment and sadness were, remember, the Lord's with you. Put your joy in the Lord. And Paul and Silas, beaten, jailed, facing more trouble, currently midnight in the stocks, in the most part of the prison. I think my response would be, hmm, I think our mission to Philippi is not going very well. I'm not sure that's panning out quite how I'd hoped. You know, Paul, uh, Woody and I, we went to Mozambique last year. I fell over in the mud. And I got covered, absolutely coated. It was, I looked stupid. That's sometimes the worst bit about falling over, isn't it? You look stupid. I looked even more stupid when I got up. My glasses were full of mud. We go back to Darren and Joy Greg's house. They've run out of water. I'm staying there. I'm just caked in mud. And look, I, these guys are beaten and jailed. I'm miserable. They're rejoicing. How are they doing that? How is that possible? Don't you want that? Don't you see how free they are from the circumstances that are around them? We talk about, we sing about freedom. This is what we're talking about here. This freedom from circumstance. Why? Because they know the joy of the Lord. They know something that is so deeper, so, more, so much more satisfying than where we had a nice comfortable mission trip and they put us up in a five-star hotel. Though they were beaten and jailed facing hardship and challenge ahead and they're rejoicing they know something of the joy of the Lord I think I would be like well God's abandoned me you know my my Instagram account would take a distinct I know some of you really like my Instagram account by the way I know you all laugh at me for a bit but anyway I, I think it would take a distinct downturn at that point the pictures wouldn't be happy ones. I think we're going to die. I'd be grumpy and complaining as I was when I fell over in Mozambique. I'm just really muddy and miserable. And, uh, you know, I think that's probably some of our responses will be that. Maybe we need to hear Nehemiah's call, don't we? Yeah, don't weep. 
This is a holy moment. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Don't you think we need to hear something of that? No matter the presenting circumstance or the severity of the issue, God is good and God is powerful. That's what it means to be a believer. That's the, that's the stuff that we believe in. And what does it mean to believe in? It means I'm standing on it. I determine in my heart and mind my decision making, which ultimately infor- does inform my emotions, in fact. It does. So I'm standing on this as objective, absolute truth. When, when we read about building your life on a firm foundation, this is what it's talking about, this kind of thing. But there's something more in all this strength that came as they expressed their joy. For Paul and Silas, the reality was, yes, do you know what? Strength did come. Actual, literal strength. There was an earthquake. Have you missed that? They're worshipping and there's strength came immediately. And the place shook and the doors opened and the chains fell off to the point where the jailer is like, ah, he's going to kill himself. He knows that if the, if the prisoners get out, He's dead, basically. They're going to kill him. So he decides to kill himself. And Paul's like, no, no, it's okay. We're all here. Strength comes when we determine in our hearts to worship him. It does. That's the point of it. It's not just, why do we worship? Why do we sing worship? Our lives are worship, obviously. But why do we do it? We are reminding, speaking truth to ourselves, strengthening ourselves in God. We are putting our feet firmly on the foundation of truth. That's where our songs need to be full of truth. Not full of feelings. Truth, fo- uh, feelings follow truth, not the other way around. You've got to get it right. Truth informs our soul. The Bible says he restores my soul. He restores it by his Holy Spirit and with the truth of God. Those things work in unison. We've got to get that bit right. Strength comes. Isaiah 40 is all about that, isn't it? Those who wait on, although we know that well even if we don't know the bible very well we know those who wait on the lord will renew their strength they will rise up on wings like eagles those who wait on the lord we could say those who worship the lord those who give themselves to the lord those who spend time in the presence of the lord there's no wonder is there that later paul writing to that same church in philippi would write this in philippians 4 rejoice in the lord always of course Of course, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He's speaking from his own experience. He's saying, listen, it's not not just that's how you should be. You're supposed to do that if you're a Christian. He's saying, no, strength comes. When you do that, you are changed as you inform your heart and mind and soul who God is and what he's done. So rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident to all, says Paul. Then he says this. And this is what Nehemiah wanted the people to know. And this is what Paul wants these people to know who read this. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. That changes everything, doesn't it? The Lord is near. He's not far off. He's not distant. He's not unapproachable. He's near because of Jesus. He's near. The Lord is near. He reminds the anxious heart, just as Nehemiah wanted those Israelites to know. The Lord is near. So rejoice. So go, drink and eat. Rejoice. The Lord is near. It changes everything. And so what we find from all this is what? That joy in the Lord is a vehicle for finding strength in God. It really is. You, find, you need to be strong. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in him. 
enjoy all that he is and all that he does. We, we suffer quite badly because often we look, for, we look for joy and strength in other things. We look for it in our experience. We think, oh, I know how to navigate this because I've done it before. Maybe it's money. Maybe we think, actually, I've got enough. I can buy my way out of this problem. That's, that's where I'm looking to. I'm going to find there my strength. Maybe it's other people, relationships. Maybe through the social media, you know, we've all seen the posts. Having a dreadful day, DM me if you want more information, you know. Well, we, we'll, <laughs> you won't get that from me. But you, 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 we, we know that. <laughs> we, we know that. What, we're, what are we doing? We're looking to other sources. We're looking somewhere else. Maybe it's just pleasure itself. That's where you go. Maybe health, fitness. Actually, I, I've, I can make it through. I'm strong. I can do it. That's a, that's a bit of a, a fallacy of the young, actually. We say of young people, you feel like you're going to live forever. It's, it's true. You do. I can remember exactly that when I was <coughs> young. <laughs> and listen, those things are not bad things. It's just they mustn't be ultimate things. You put your faith in those things. We start seeking joy ultimate joy in those things and we come unstuck in fact some of us if we're doing that you might want to repent of that as you come to the table later on just say I'm sorry I've been looking for for strength in other things looking for joy elsewhere again I, I put it back in you and you alone don't grieve says Nehemiah the joy of the Lord is your strength let's just finish with this quote from Isaiah 12 surely God is my salvation I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you draw water from the wells of salvation. And when we come to the table, that's what we're doing. With joy, draw strength from the broken body and the blood of Jesus. He's given himself for you. He values you. He has rescued you. You've been paid for. It's done, it's finished. You can know God. The Lord is near because of that table. The Lord is near. He's near to you. And you might think, yeah, you don't know what I've done. I know what Jesus has done. He's paid everything. Everything. He knows exactly all that you think and do and will do. And still he gives himself so that he can be near to you. And maybe as we come again to the table, it's time for you to say, I I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need to experience something. that I'm, I'm grasping something of it. I, it's a, it still seems elusive. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the joy of the Lord breaks out within you as an experience, as a feeling, as an understanding, an embrace from the Holy Spirit. You need that maybe. Maybe in the season of prayer, you'll be thinking, how can I pray for joy to break out in the city? Who can I pray for that this week they would know something of the joy of knowing the Lord? Maybe that's why we need to invite people to Alpha. Listen, my prayer for you is that you would know something of this joy. It's for me too, selfish too, you know, I want it. (laughs) But I pray for you that you would know something of this joy. Why? Because it's freedom. In it there is freedom, freedom from the circumstances freedom from all that's around us the pressing issues of life to know something of the joy of the Lord let's stand together Father I thank you so much Lord God that your yes Lord Jesus that joy that you offer 
is deep and wide and satisfying. Lord God, it's all-encompassing. Lord Jesus, it's not elusive. It's not challenged by circumstance. And we thank you, Lord, that that is where we find our strength in understanding something of your love and goodness, something of the grace poured out through Jesus for us. Amen. Just one final thing. I'll hand over to the other guys. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. I love that quote. You get an idea that this is, there's a lot of energy and power. There's a lot of thought and concern. Gone into what? The joy of heaven. What a fantastic destiny we have together.